Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And what is not good for walnuts is actually good for grapes. So having smaller trees and smaller vegetative growth translates a lot to intensity of fruit and good quality wine. So we, we were 30 years old and we took a winger and here we are. Welcome to the Swirl Speed, everybody. Happy Wine Wednesday. On this episode, we talk with co-founder of Obsidian Wine, Peter Molnar. Peter began his adventures in wine as a teenager, suckering and tying vines and driving irrigation factors during summers in the vineyard where his father grew grapes for Napa Valley wineries. Listen to his full, amazing story right here on the Swirl Suite. Cheers. It's so cool that it's actually snowing up here. So can you see the snowflakes? Actually, I did just see a couple. Oh, yeah, it's snowing up here. I see a couple against his jacket. You can um, see it. What? Yeah. Oh, maybe it's uh, it's like thirty-eight degrees here. So I may have to put on my my cap. Oh, I see the snowflakes now. Yeah, and you might need some gloves. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, thirty-eight. I thought we yeah, left cold temperatures behind. <laughs> yeah, well, we get these cold shots from coming down from the north this time of year. It's almost. 3,000 feet in elevation, so it can get pretty cold here. Nice to see you. Nice to meet you. Yes. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm well, thank you. So where are you? So I'm at the top of Obsidian Ridge. We are the highest vineyard in the Mayacamas Mountains. The Mayacamas separates Napa and Sonoma Valleys. Um, This is an abandoned walnut orchard that we found 22 years ago, uh, planted it 20 years ago, and we make our Obsidian Ridge wines from here. So that's where I am right now. And uh, we're just up here doing winter work. And I thought I'd come up and speak with you all while we're, I'm, I'm up, up here in the vineyard. How do you I didn't find expect, I didn't expect it to snow. <laughs> how do, do we you find the vineyard? How do you find an abandoned vineyard and just start producing such great fruit to make this marvelous wine? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, I'd love to say that we had a grand strategy, but a lot of life is just serendipity and, and, and luck. Um, our parents found an old dairy cattle farm in Napa Carneros 45 years ago. And it was one of my brother and my turn. I guess we just had the same kind of feeling like, but you know, the story of West Coast winemaking isn't finished. It's still being written. So what happens when you go north and along the Mayacamas Mountains? So the Mayacamas Mountains, which is the word is, it means a Native American, the, the home of the mountain lion, or also the cry of the mountain lion. There's two different ways of saying it. But the Mayacamas is, has produced this amazing mountain Cabernet, Mount Veter, Spring Mountain, Diamond Mountain. Powell Mountain is not the Mayacamas, but it's right across. And we thought, oh, it'd be so cool to find something that's a little bit further up the ridge. And so um, we started poking around in the mid-90s, late-90s. And we found this beautiful abandoned walnut orchard. I mean, behind me, it was 350 acres of walnuts. And there were these bonsai walnut trees. They were probably only six to 10 feet tall. They were dry farmed on this ridiculously rocky soil. And what is not good for walnuts is actually good for grapes. So mm-hmm. having smaller trees and smaller vegetative growth translates a lot to intensity of fruit and good quality wine. So we, we were 30 years old and we took a winger and here we are. Wow. So, I, I, know, know, it's a story. 
I mean, look at that view behind you. That that's so that picturesque. So yeah. right behind me. So this is Mount Kanaktai behind me there. Um, it is four thousand six hundred feet. Um, and then behind is Clear Lake, which is the oldest geological lake in North America. It's two million years old. Um, and this was once one of the most, uh, it is the youngest volcanic flow in Northern California. In fact, this soil that we're on here, this was still exploding 2,000 years ago, or 10,000 years ago, rather. Um, Native American populations moved into this, into this basin 14,000 years ago. So it was still exploding. And right behind me, um, on the other side, we have a five-acre surveyed Native American archaeological site. And this is where they made tools out of this very sharp obsidian. It's not even a rock. It's, it's silica. It's glass. Wow. So it's a spectacular spot area, part of the California. Do you have, um, hi, Peter, I'm Leslie. Do you have Leslie, any, <laughs> do, you, do you have issues with irrigation? Do you have to... Um, did you have to put in an irrigation system or is it natural irrigation there? No, we did. We did. Because the soils are so rocky, the water holding potential is very low. Um, but that means we do have to water like many of the vineyards in California. Uh, right? We have no rain here really between May and, and November. Um, and so as it happens, the, we have a fractured volcanic zone below us and the that it's not, it's not like a reservoir underneath us. It's basically like, think about it like an ossified sponge and all the water hits the vineyard and this ridge around me and settles into that. Our hydrologist tells us we may be using water that's 600 years old. That's how long it takes to kind of percolate down there. But it's sustainable in that um, on a typical year, this vineyard will get about 120 million gallons of water and we will use about 20 million gallons, but we will re-drip it back into the soil. So most of okay. it goes through our system and down into the, into the soil. Another interesting thing about that is that our power comes from a geothermal field that's right behind us. It's the largest geothermal active working geothermal field in the world. It produces enough power to, to power two San Francisco's. So all of our power is sustainably generated by those geothermal vents, which is much of the same activity that created the subsidian in the first place. We're on top of what's called the North Coast Magma Pocket. It's one of the thinnest parts of the, of the Earth's crust in North America. And we have a flume of magma right underneath where I'm standing that's kind of heating those geysers and created the volcanic activity that created all the subsidian. So if you're a geologist, the people do, geologists love Lake County. Winemakers too, but geologists first and foremost. So what is the climate like? Um, like, how would you describe the climate since it's snowing right now, which is a, a little surprise to me. But uh, yeah, please tell us about the climate. Yeah, so we're in a mountain climate zone, here, which is quite different. You know, so much of grapes love cool nights. Let me mm -hmm. just start with that. Um, essentially, every time a grape is below 50 degrees in temperature, like your fridge at home, it stops metabolizing. Mm -hmm. And every above that temperature, it starts ripening when we have, when it's not snowing, when we actually have a growing season. But what that means is that most really great wine regions are cool at night, either because they're close to the ocean, like you would imagine Sonoma Coast, higher in, uh, in latitude like Burgundy, or higher in elevation like where we are in the high Mycomas, or perhaps the Andes is a good example, like Mendoza. And 
each of those climatic factors allows the nighttime temperatures to drop, especially during the last part of harvesting where a lot of the exciting parts of uh, ripening happen, or the, the really good parts of ripening happen. So we're in a mountain climate here, which means at, well, I'm almost at 3,000 feet of elevation. So a couple of different things. One is that we have a lot less humidity, um, and therefore the, the, the air does not hold heat so much. So if you live in a warmer climate where it's more humid, you can eat outside at night because it stays you know, warm until midnight. Like here, when the sun goes down behind the ridge, it gets chilly right away. Like if you go camping anytime, we're at three, 4,000 feet. The second thing is that every 1,000 feet you go up, you have 3% more ultraviolet light. And so at, at 3,000 feet, we almost have 10% more ultraviolet light here. And that's what we call luminosity. And that really helps with ripening of fruit. It creates thicker skins. And as you guys know, that in the, in the, you know, the inside of the grape is just sugar, water, and acid, but all the flavor and the color are from uh, the skin itself. And the skin reacts to more ultraviolet light by getting thicker. It basically builds a sunscreen around uh, the, its next generation, which are the seeds. So those are the big, con- those are the big factors of viticulture generally. So Peter, let's back up. Tell us about, <laughs> tell us about, I know. Uh, tell us about your initial connection to wine. Yeah, so um, this is a story about how much California winemaking has changed. I don't know if you, if, if anybody remembers the Peppy Brothers Winery, but the Peppy Brothers, it, it's it's owned by by Kendall Jackson. It's a beautiful little. Now it's called. Uh, I'll come to you in a second, but it's right across from Mustards on Highway 29. Oh, My parents came from Europe in 1956. They left. Hungary during the revolution uh, because of the com- because of communism after the war, and they settled in San Francisco. And my dad's first job was to well, he helped put together like pension plans, employee pension plans, as a starting uh, as his first job out of college. And the Peppy brothers were one of his clients. Now the Peppy brothers, who became quite well known for winemaking at the time, were an Italian family, and their business was taxidermy. They were stuffing animals down by the San Francisco airport. They had 30, they had 30 employees. And my dad was their advisor on this, on their, and one, some, one, one uh, Sunday, they invite them up for a big Italian dinner at the Peppy Brothers Winery, which is a relatively small little winery at the time. And they just said something random like, Nicholas, the future, my dad's name is Nicholas, the future of, of the Apple Valley is grapes. And you have to remember at that time, there were more prunes and plums and cattle than there were grapes in Napa in the early sixties, but it got the idea in his head and he and his friends got together, put some money together, started planting vineyards in the 1960s, late sixties, early seventies. And I ended up working on those vineyards in high school. And I think when my dad had us, my first summer was in a tent, um, an old army surplus green tent. Um, but, but I think they really wanted us to recognize the value of an education. They wanted us to recognize the value of hard, physical labor and what everybody did out in the vineyard and understand that. Uh, but I just, I fell for it hook, line and sinker. I really enjoyed it. I got to drive a tractor, irrigate vines, tie vines, you know, just do the basic work that happens in the vineyard. So that was the beginning for me. Wow. Huh. So did any of your other, do you have other siblings and are they? I do. Well, yes. My, I have an older sister uh, who's an environmental engineer. My brother, he and I are partners with our other partners in the, in the making wine. Created a family business. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you think at 16 you would come back and in the family business? 
You know, it's funny. Um, I don't think I gave it a thought. Um, I didn't know I wasn't against it, but I didn't, I didn't imagine. Um, I didn't imagine it. I wasn't very specific about imagining. Let me put it that way. What really got it for me was when I had the chance to move back to Hungary after the wall came down in 1990, I, I left college in 1990 and went back to Budapest and fell into a job where I was working, um, helping privatize the Hungarian wine industry. And that was very interesting. And it, it took in a lot of the things I'd studied in college. But the most amazing thing was watching this whole um, really ancient wine tradition reinvent itself after communism and being part of that. And just the adventure and generosity of all those winemakers I had a chance to meet with, uh, their wines to taste, and, and they were getting better every year. That's mm-hmm. a really hooked. So when I came back here in the mid-90s after four or five years in Europe, I knew that wine was going to be my work. And so what do you mean by um, privatized Hungarian wine? What, what does that entail? Sure. So, you know, everything after the Soviets took over Central Europe after the war, um, they would first they pushed the, all the Germans out. They won, but then they stayed. Uh, so <laughs> the, this, what we think of as the Soviet Empire was really that they never went home. I mean, Poland and Czech Republic and Hungary and, and Slovakia and so forth. Um, but that's a that's a topic for another podcast right yeah. <laughs> um but so when i arrived um the wall had just fall, come down um and this was august of 1990 and so all these governments and these countries had to figure out how do you rebuild after communism like it's never been done in the history of the world where a hundred percent of the economy was run by the government by the state mm-hmm. and so they had to privatize it and so it was a very complex and not always very well thought out um, program. Uh, I wouldn't say it wasn't thought out, but it was kind of on the fly a little bit of how do you figure out how to give land and factories and houses and apartment buildings back to people. Um, So that's the work I was involved with. And um, it depended on the size of the different kinds of companies, but sometimes companies would just be given to the employees I was involved with some of those. Some of the big companies were bought by foreign investors because they wanted to bring in money and investment. Um, so that's that was the work I was doing. So let's uh, let's talk about Obsidian really quick. Um, tell us about the Outdoor Adventure series. All of you guys who are involved with Obsidian are outdoorsmen and you do a lot of activities outside. So tell us about that. Well, I'm, I'm standing outside. Um, yeah. We grow grapes outside. <laughs> uh, we have a feeling like it's probably it's probably appropriate to drink wine outside. So that's really kind of the logic. Meaning, what we so the adventure series you could almost call it exploration series mm-hmm. as much. So what we do is we have a we have the big volcano. We have a geologist, so we do a hike a volcano series where mm. the Phil the geologist will go through how this area was was created and all the geology that went into it. We'll drink the wines and we'll just give people context about where something comes from. So for example, down in a Poseidon vineyard, that's on the very edge of San Pablo Bay and San Francisco Bay, we'll talk about the wetlands and the influence of the of of the ocean and, and fog on our wines. Um, we're doing a long a lot of work right now with Hog Island. They talk about how oysters pick up different flavors from where they are so look it's it's about having fun we should yeah. have fun when we're drinking wine but we're really trying to bring it outside i mean 
look, there's there's a lot to say about going into a nice um, tasting room and it's all set up beautifully and, yeah. you know, you have your one glass after another. But I guess it, the difference is maybe if I were to use art, I, I just thought of this a second ago, it's, you either see it in a museum wall or you get to go to the artist's studio and see how they build it. So I think in a way we're trying to get people to come to the studio and say, you know, this is why we think this wine tastes like this because of the elevation of these rocks or whatever it is. I think it just makes it more, like, ideally we want people to feel as connected to it as we are in a way. Yeah. That's the idea. And girls, really quick, I actually put the link for all of the adventures in the email that I sent. Uh, scan those really quick and just. Oh, girl, uh, I looked. Yeah. Oh, uh, I, I, oh well, well, yes. So tell tell oh, us girl, what um what your, I guess what which one you would select if you were to choose one. It was one on a boat. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the schooner sail, that we do the schooner yes, the sail scoot. on the bay. That's the one. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a beautiful boat uh, and it's stable and great place. You can, you can taste wine without the the glass falling out of your hand. <laughs> the bay can get, the bay can get pretty rough. Do you, do you, are you a captain? I noticed in your background that you had a sailing background. Are you, are you, are you uh, steering the ship? Um, not on that boat, but I am a licensed captain as it happens. Um, I grew up on the water around the Bay area and I love it very much. Um, so it's part of the work I, uh, other work I do. I'm involved with a couple of ocean research projects as it happens on the off season. Now this backyard one, is that, does that mean you bring everything to someone's backyard? You create an experience in their backyard? Yeah. So that was frankly a response to COVID. Um, that's still and awesome so yeah so we would it's a it's basically a, a, a pop-up that shows up at your house mm. so we bring the wines we bring the stemware we bring the food we bring a accompanying food um you invite all the friends that you want you're as distant or not distant as you care to be um and then we we, we do an outdoor tasting for you in your backyard oh wow that's that's, yeah. really, that's uh-huh. super fun i think i, I want to explore the forest of tokai Oh yeah, yeah. That was a tight second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Second girl. My God, I love Tokai. But I saw the boat and was like, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> on the boat, like that's all I can think about. <laughs> and this Tokai is a special place. And there's a saffron harvest. Oh yeah, I was just looking at that. Wow. Mm. Yeah. So hmm. do you pair? That's food? a couple who came up here. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was no, I was talking out loud, thinking of saffron and food and wine. Go ahead, sweetheart. I don't want to interrupt. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, so that's a couple who came up here to the to Lake County, I think five years ago, and started developing planting saffron. I think they're a type of bush. I don't know. Um, and they are now harvesting saffron once a year. Uh, it's called Peace and Plenty Farms. They're just down the road from here, down the down by the lake. Um, and what's, in, what's kind of a fun part about being up here, there's a really um, old and still vibrant agriculture tradition up here. There's pears, walnuts, people, people are raising cattle, sheep, goats, et cetera, as well. So it's not just grapes. Wow. And what is down the rabbit hole? Right. <laughs> <laughs> down the rabbit hole. So, you know, everything we've done, um, has been a little bit down the rabbit hole is the way we think about it. Like 
when our parents found the Carneros property and it was the first property to be planted in Southern Carneros or when we found Obsidian Ridge or when we started working with Hungarian Oak, we've always just enjoyed um, exploring and finding these different um, traditions, like a lot of them are traditions, wine traditions that have been around for a long time, like Oak and Tokai. I mean, the, the village where we have our, our wood mill has a thousand year written tradition of, of, of coopering. It's one of the oldest cooperage traditions, barrel making traditions in Europe. Oh, so the, the rabbit hole part is just to continue that spirit. Mm. So we made, um, we made uh, uh, Petnat, uh, we call it Pezgu, the Hungarian name, which is a rosé, Petelon Naturel. We made uh, Piquette, which is, uh, we call it Mashlash, out of Chardonnay skins. Um, we did a Pear Blanc this year, which is a combination of Sauvignon Blanc and Pear, pear wines. Uh, Lake County Pears are famous. Um, so those are, those are fun wines. You know, it's funny. I joke, for example, Pet Nat, which is getting kind of a, a, a reputation now. It's basically farmer's champagne. You know, they... They, they wanted to make something to drink out of every part of the, the grape um, and reuse. Like Piquette is the reusing of the white wine grape skins after, after fermentation. You, know, you put water on it, you add a little sugar, you use it again. Um, our, our friend of ours said the Piquette tastes like if kombucha and wine had a baby. Yeah, it does. It would be like. That's and so, accurate. So our idea is is just to celebrate those traditions that people have been making wines in different types for a long time because they basically wanted to have enough to drink till the next harvest, let's be frank, to make it through the winters, of particularly Europe. Um, but, you know, that's, it's just for us, it's our way of just um, holding on to the fun part and exploratory part of winemaking. Nice. Hmm. Leslie, did you choose your adventure? Can't decide. Let's going to name five of them. Like I'm right, a- I know I can't. I I want it all, but I I really like that the seaplane wine flight and the oyster harvest. Like if we yes. could start with the flight, and then at sunset do the the oyster harvest, it would be lovely. Are you yeah. trying to double up? All right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. 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 Rules, trying to get a two right, for one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, luckily um, you're on the juice. Because we're just dreaming. We're all playing make-believe. So, you know. <laughs> until, until the world opens back up. I'm going to do, I have to do one of these. Exactly. Um, have you had people camp out at the vineyard? Like do a, a glamping experience? Yeah, so that's something that we're working on. Um, there's a lot of room up here to do it. It's really beautiful. And um, we have native forest all around us, so we can do we can do that. We we haven't gotten to that stage, but working on that. Yes. Nice. Hey, Tanisha, the explorer Tokai has a you arrive in Budapest, and then via boat on the Danube River you get to the forest. So you that's a two for. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> see the boat part of that. Okay, I didn't see the boat part of that. <laughs> That's doable. Yeah, it's a multidisciplinary adventure. Right? Yeah, that's doable. Because I'm like, when am I going to be in California again? That's like light years away. I, I have to meet you in Paris and go to the. Uh, yes, we'll go to Hungary and taste everything. Exactly. Oh so, Peter, oh. can you tell us about the wine that we're drinking? We have the estate grown Cabernet Sauvignon. Yes. So, you're drinking the 2017, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, this is a true mountain Cabernet in every sense of the word from where it's grown. And also I believe how it, how, what it tastes like. Um, 
So we planted, when we had the opportunity to find this place, even though it was unexplored, we took, we, I, we contacted some of the best older hands in the business who'd been working on the vineyards up on the mountains of Lower Mayacamas. And so we asked them what kind of varietals should we plant and what kind of spacing and all that sort of thing. So what we wanted to do is put on a table a really true mountain Cabernet. And I hope we've done it. Um, there are f- six different clones of Cabernet in it. And there's some Petit Verdot, some Petit Syrah, and some Malbec in it as well. And in different proportions, different years. I can't remember exactly the 2017 right offhand. But the idea is to really um, capture not just the vineyard itself, but everything around it. So really good. The, one of the nice things about the mountains is you're near the forest and Grapes are super sensitive to the compounds of plants around them. In Australia, if you're near eucalyptus, you get that minty character. But here you get this sort of uh, chaparral character. So there's a kind of an herbal note to it um, without being green, which kind of offsets the sort of intense fruit that you get from Mountain Cab. Um, there's, there's plenty of tannin. There's lots of structure. Um, another interesting thing about this wine is because of the different elevation profiles of the vineyard, it starts at 2,300 feet. It ends at 2,700 feet almost. The top of the vineyard gets ripe first. The bottom vineyard ripens about a month later because the way the temperature inversion is. Um, the top of the vineyard gives us lots of sort of black fruit and ripeness and volume. Um, the middle of the vineyard tends to give us some structure. And the bottom of the vineyard, we pick at lower alcohol levels or sugar levels, tends to be more aromatic. It's almost like picking three different vineyards at a time, um, three different vineyards as opposed to just one. So it's Cabernet, it's classic Cabernet, it should taste like Cabernet, but um, it, t- it tends to be a little bit more focused and not as sweet or rich as some Cabernets can be. Um, and that's just what mountain fruit gives you. And that's what we love it about it. It is really tasty. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I am glad just, you like it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. I'm a cab girl. Did you, did you say that you, do you age it in Hungarian oak? I don't know we if you do, we do. Okay. Mm. So um, one of the random rabbit hole adventures we fell into in Hungary was finding a cooperage. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in the midst of privatization, as I talked about earlier. Um, spontaneous privatization was the code word for it. Basically just gave the company to the, the people who worked there and said, good luck. <laughs> they didn't give any money, they didn't give any backing. They just said, do your best. And so as it happens, we were introduced to this cooperage. Uh, at that time, there were about 22 people there. Um, they were actually making planter boxes for a Home Depot type company in Austria to make men's meat. Um, we worked with them and now we're back up to 66 people and um, we are distributed all around the world. So it's been kind of a good story, but one of the things is that we found out that was unique about it was all of the oak came from the Tokai region. And what makes that really interesting is that Tokai and the mountains around Tokai are the, one of the youngest volcanic flows in Europe. And they're also quite cool. So they create very tight grain trees that are quite dense. Um, and they are all of Quercus petraea. They're one of the two species in Europe, but there are only two forests in Europe that have 100% Quercus petraea. Trance in France, which is very highly respected, and Tokai. All that being said, it basically is a very aromatic wood. 
it tends to be more aromatic and less structural. So it tends to give less tannin in the, in mm-hmm. the wine. Sometimes the barrels are used very much to, sometimes we call it frame up the wine, um, give it structure. Uh, this wine doesn't need structure. It has plenty of fruit structure itself, but we really love to accentuate the, the, the aromatics because that's, you know, let's face it, we're all biologically attuned to good fruit and sweetness. That's really what, um, what we like. And so this oak um, is particularly well suited to mountain fruit because it tends to um, heighten the fruit character of it um, and then really bright, bring up those, bring up those high tones. And what's interesting about Cabernet, you know, Cabernet is such a great, 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 but so often misunderstood. Here's why I say that. Um, we think of Cabernet as just being powerful. And it is, you know, it, it's great with steak or it's a, it's a really, it's a it's substantial wine. But really great Cabernets are also very pretty. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that the high tones of like lavender and rose and those kinds of even orange peel, all those things, if they are part of that whole um, structure, that's, that, makes wine, that makes Cabernet really exciting. Um, and that's what you get when you have slightly cool finishes to harvest because some of those high tones remain. If you are in a warm area, and let's face it, Napa is in a warm area. Um, we are the same latitude as Morocco. Uh, the only thing that keeps us from being like the climate of Morocco is the very cold Alaska current that comes along our co- coastline. Um, and, and Napa makes delicious Cabernets. We, we all love them. But we've all had Cabernets that are just a little too sweet, a little too heavy. That's what happens when you lose those high tones. It's, um, it's almost like the high tones are a yin and yang thing uh, in, in, in good fruit. So ideally, uh, our oak use, going back Okay. The reason we use this kind of oak is to maintain those high tones in fruit. The wine. I've never heard anyone, um, and please don't take this the wrong way, describe cab as sweet, but I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah, I definitely, that is an interesting way of describing it, and I never looked at it that, that way before. No, it's, it's not necessarily residual sugar sweet no no i'm not yeah yeah, no i'm not saying that at all no no no. but the effect we talk about this all the time but if you add on the fact that so alcohol is sweet in of itself right right the fruit the ripe fruit is sweet in itself yeah sometimes barrels can give sweetness barrels have a lot of vanilla in them especially Mm -hmm. french oak barrels so you start adding those three things up you know then it gets then then you kind of tip the balance like vanilla ice cream is good Right, and then you put hot fudge on it, good. And then you put caramel on it; it's like not so good. At some point, like at some point, you need to be careful there. And so right. our point is that, you know, we want, we like that right fruit. We all do, but um, that's a that's the kind of balance. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I just think that's a very interesting way of describing it because most people approach when you're talking about a cab as its bigness, its boldness, its tannic, but they don't really describe the fruit of the fruit of the wine. It's, it's more focused on the savory um, and the, the soil notes that attribute to a cap. Yeah, and look, luckily there's no right answer. I mean, they can all mm-hmm. be, dif- they can all be oh, tasty yeah. in their, in their yeah. way. Um, but for example, um, our our partner Cooperage is in Cognac, and they 
they, they Taran So, um, that we work with in our Hungarian project, but they, they supply a lot of very good chateaus in France. And I, I can't say that I know those wines very well, but I have had a chance to taste them. You know, they really have this beautiful, beautiful lavender note that is big on Bordeaux. And it's that's a fruit note. Yes, mm-hmm. and I agree with you that the structure and the bigness and the and the and the and the, and the soil notes are important as well. But it's you know ultimately it is where we are tasting it for fruit. Yeah. I love when a big wine doesn't come across and slap me in the face. Like this is a big body wine. And that, I mean, the, uh, the alcohol is, is, is 14.6. It's, it's high, but I can't tell. I can't smell it. It's not sharp on my nose. And it's a really nice, it's really nice on the palate. It's, it's extremely well balanced. -balanced. Yeah. Cause I was nervous when I saw the alcohol. I was like, Oh no. What is happening? Uh, California. It doesn't have that hot feeling in my mouth. It oh, yeah. Extra heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Get tomorrow with a hamburger, but like a fresh, real burger. So, but. Well, we, you know, we, ch- we chase things in a sort of matrix, right? So if one thing jumps out, it's probably just not in balance, right? If, if, that, if this wine didn't have as much tannin or fruit to it, then the alcohol literally would show. Yeah. Right. Um, so. Where can folks find this wine um, outside of California? Can it be found here on the East Coast and what distributor? Um, yeah. So we have been, uh, we are in 43 different states around this country. Um, uh, MS Walker carries us, for example, in the, in the Boston area. Um, in New York, it's, um, what's it called? The Ox. Ox, no, it'll come to me because they were they weren't. I can never keep track of it. But we've had really good representation in the East Coast, and all those are on our website. Uh, the various distributors uh, for each 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 winery uh, for each for each state. But yes, we're 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 widely distributed. We don't we're not in a lot of big box kind of total wines and so forth. We are in a few, um, mainly sort of restaurants and smaller wine retailers, but. Um, you know, these days also we ship a lot of wine direct as well around the country. Okay. Excellent. Awesome. So just a few more questions and these will be just like random and fun. And you just give us whatever answer that comes to your mind. And the first one is for everybody. Name something you wish people did more of. So mind their business wouldn't be a good thing to say. <laughs> I mean, like, that's I was thinking answer. like, yeah. Other people, oh, okay, like, okay. Peter, I just had to like give you a feel of how silly we can be sometimes. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, how about take more. deep breaths? <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just, I love uh, that. Things will work out. We'll just have to take deep breaths. Deep breaths and being generous. You know, I think one of the things I think all of us, I mean, generosity is something we all value, but I think during this last period, especially just the generosity of friends and people you don't even know, and just, you know, our people who have supported our winery and, and bought our wines and hopefully our work and it has its own generosity, bringing a bottle of wine to the table after during a period of t- harder period of time. Um, one of the great quotes I heard or this last couple of months was that, Science will get us out of this mess, but wine will get us through. Um, For sure. So. <laughs> Big facts. I agree. Yeah. Facts. Yeah. <laughs> I, agree. I love that. Um, 
Uh, my answer is just shut up sometimes. <laughs> Everybody does just... not need to know your first burning opinion about something. Exactly. Sometimes if you don't have anything nice to say, just be quiet. They don't need to know your second opinion either. Like sometimes <laughs> just like, no, <laughs> just no. Yeah. <laughs> I read a great quote the other day like that. It said, if you can't be positive, then please be quiet. Yes. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And people, yeah. and people yeah. don't do that enough. Nope. So, yeah. Nice. Leslie, anything before we move on? Uh, thank you. Oh. <laughs> Say thank you enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. People, people, got, people forgot those words. Yeah. Practice mm -hmm. patience. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we can name others. Yeah. There are a lot of things I wish you were there, boy. Yeah. I'm like, you're living in a supply. We can keep going. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay, our next question. If you received $10,000, what would you do with it? Oh, we up to 10. We up, okay. to, 10. up to 10. Listen, we're taking that trip to Tokai. That's what we're uh, doing, right? Well, right. There's the answer. Yes, we got we to... Go. <laughs> We That's got ten it. stacks. We going to talk about That's ten okay. G's. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Peter, what about you? You know, I I have to say I would give it to my local food bank. Oh. And the reason I say that is because I just can't imagine what it's like to 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 be hungry, to really face food insecurity. I don't want to get too deep on that one, but sure, it's yeah. it just it's, it's it's what we do. Like you know, it's it's. The idea of gathering around with any, even if you don't have a family, if it's just a couple of friends, you know, just somebody you met around a table is just the core of what we're about. And so for me, that's, that's really, that's really hit home. I've become aware of how many people really are not that, are not that far off from being hungry in our country, which is just, I just, I just can't, that's just not right. Mm -hmm. That's a great answer. Right. Well, then go on to the next question. Yeah, I'm still going to talk. Right. I'm still going to talk. I mean, that's fine, Peter. You can do what you want. Right. Okay. I'm like, is that enough for the schooner ride? I'm still doing that. Okay. What item do you need when you go on a hike? I have no idea what an answer to this could be. Just one item? Just, I mean, do you have like that one thing that you need when you go on a hike? Like oh, I, I can't forget going this. on a hike. Another pair of feet for me to go on. A hike. <laughs> <laughs> like you my can tell who isn't outdoorsy, right? <laughs> I have been outside, but I'm not outdoorsy. I've been outdoors. Well, if you're going to go on a hike, prayerfully, some type of device that will that you'll have that you could communicate back. To somebody that's not on the hike, in case <laughs> that's what we can use some of that ten thousand for. We can I'm just for saying, because a satellite phone. I need a reinforced phone. A, I need that big brick phone to be like, hello, something. hello, <laughs> walkie-talkie, something. Y'all okay. have me out there like the Blair Witch Project. No, thank you. <laughs> and that has happened to me in Alaska, so I no. Mm -mm. Mm. Ever again. And it's a little a little light flex. That happened yeah. to me in Alaska. <laughs> I'm like, um, I couldn't find my way home on the south side of Chicago. Okay. <laughs> he said Alaska. I'm telling you, that's There's another whole story in itself. But mm. all right, Peter, what's your answer? Person. What yes. Yes, uh, please tell us. I'm 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 halfway stuck between 
a good friend or a beer. <laughs> wow. Uh, and here I think I, I think you was I thought you was gonna say something like, oh, you know, my favorite granola. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Our joke is it takes a, it takes a lot of beer to make good wine. So I, I think I mean you know when you get to the top of that mountain, it's always good to have some fresher. So uh, I'm gonna go with the can of beer. That is, that's, that's true. true. I like it. Huh. That is true. Leslie, do you have one? Oh, um, like a good walking stick in mm. the canteen. Yeah. <laughs> Me is uh, uh, shoes. Uh, a good mm-hmm. hiking shoe. I don't know what that is because I want <laughs> to hike in eons, but I feel like my feet would be the most important to worry about. Someone told me socks. The right oh, socks. Yeah, right I can socks? see that too. Yeah. And, two, and that you should do two pair, especially during the summer because you know you start to sweat and your feet get wet. Ooh, so then you can... Yeah change your socks okay so your feet are comfortable that was a tip that was given to me haven't had to put it to use yet (laughs) i will never have to put that to use (laughs) no one has given me that tip because they know it would be useless in my life uh i was a trained girl scout so i used to hike a lot no i've eaten girl scout cookies (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh all right, last question. What is your favorite shellfish? Oh, easy, oysters. Oysters. Yeah, yeah, this one was hard. I was like, one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, but that's tough. I mean, yeah, but I, I'm going oysters. Do you have a favorite type of oysters? Because oysters on the West Coast are so different from East Coast oysters. I think yours are like, tend to be sweeter. Yeah, I, I don't have a favorite one, honestly. I mean, I just think they're all good. I, there's, mm-hmm. you know, the um, there's actually just Hog Island, who we do a lot of work with Hog Island oysters out here in California. Uh, they're just putting out, um, they've kind of re, they haven't rediscovered, but uh, just re-commercialized these really, really small oysters, these Olympias that are supposedly were native all down the coast. Uh, so those are, they're super briny and very coppery. They're small. Mm-hmm. Those are quite good. Mm. Well, if We're you doing ever a, come to the if you ever come to the East Coast, we'll take you to Maryland. There's a big um, a project that's been going on for the past five years about the oyster beds in Maryland, and so now the oysters have repopulated here. It's, it's a huge project on the Eastern Shore. Yeah, I've uh, I've um, I've been following that. They're doing something similar here. I work with the group called San Francisco Baykeeper. And uh, there's been work because they, they're great filter feeders and they mm-hmm. clear out a lot of the, the water as well. I love the soft shell crab, though, mm-hmm. in Maryland. I, when I was in college, I used to go down there occasionally and, you know, the old winter paper and the, yeah. that Old Bay seasoning. And that's that's yeah. a that's a that's a meal. Corn yes, and yes, potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sarita's yeah. going to be crabs. <laughs> um, it's yes, it, it's definitely crabs. But um, clams is a close second. Love clams. Mm. Mm-hmm. Shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> shrimp for you? you yep. Shrimp and lobster. They're yeah. close first and second. I have to go. I have a okay. seven o'clock call. Peter, okay. it was a pleasure to meet you. Um, pleasure to meet you. I look forward to toasting some wine and tokai. 
<laughs> on the Danube Ripper. On the Danube. <laughs> exactly. Bye, ladies. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Well, Peter, we were actually wrapping up. Um, please tell everybody where they can follow Obsidian and you, perhaps, if you're on social media. Yeah, so um, Obsidian Wine Co. is our handle, I believe. Um, and we have our website up with all the details about where we are and what we're doing. That's our most detailed. I don't have a lot of personal social media, I got to say, but um, we do it through the winery. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking time out of your day, especially outside in the mountains, in the snow. In the snow. We, I mean, we appreciate you. That is awesome. yeah. that, and, and uh, also, nice cheers to, to you. you. And cheers to this beautiful yeah. Cabernet. Cheers. Oh, I'm finishing. Thanks. All right. And uh, thanks for having us on. Of course. Anytime. Absolutely. All right. Good. And come Bye-bye. visit. We'll do one of those of adventures course. together. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. good. Thanks for joining us, Swirl Sweet, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can also find this episode on YouTube. Peter's backdrop was so spectacular. Um, I decided to put it on YouTube so you all could see it for yourselves. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Leave us a comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Swirl Sweet. Cheers.